Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 40, and joining me on today's show is Gregory Kelly from the Neurohacker Collective. The Neurohacker Collective has a mission of creating best-in-class well-being products. The scientific approach focuses on supporting the body's ability to self-regulate rather than overriding regulatory systems with chemicals designed to move a biomarker in a particular direction. The company began with focus on cognitive products with the launch of its Qualia Nootropic line and will continue to provide comprehensive products for overall peak performance. Hi Greg, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Doing fantastic. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for for taking the time. And uh, at the time when we're recording this, we are right in the midst of obviously this uh, global epidemic of of coronavirus. So before we start with the podcast, Greg, just how how are things for you guys over there? How are you coping with it? So um, I'm in California. I live in the San Diego area. And California has a statewide stay-at-home mandate. So um, been working at home. Well, we are allowed to go out for you know exercise, walk dogs, shopping, things like that. But I'm fortunate. I live right by the ocean, so you know I can walk along the beach walk. I live right by a footpath. Um, so you know, overall, I feel like I'm you know doing really solid with it. And um, yeah, I feel like compared to the average person, I have a, a lot of resources to keep myself both in intellectually engaged and motivated to exercise during this time. Perfect. Good stuff. I, mean, it's, I think now is, uh, is, is more important than ever to kind of where we, where we are able to, to stay a little bit active, get some fresh air, get outside in some sunlight. Um, very good for our complete wellness, I think, uh, right now. So, Greg, you are the, the lead formulator at the um, Neurohacker Collective. But before we understand what that is, can you give us a bit of background on you and you know your kind of uh, medical background and, and how you came to to work at Neurohacker? Sure, it's been a long journey. So I'm in my late 50s and okay. I, my original degree was as an engineer and then I was an officer in the Navy during the Reagan time frame in the US, so the um, mid to late 80s. And after the Navy, one of my, um, I guess my ambitions at that point after you know, essentially having um, not much flexibility in my decisions over those um, five to six years was just to travel a lot. And I realized to get the most out of that, I had to be both healthy and able to take care of myself in a pinch. So I started studying things to do with, you know, self-help and came upon herbs, homeopathy, acupuncture, you know, really the the whole gamut, Um, started taking some classes that ended up turning into a major in nutritional and medical anthropology at okay. the University of Hawaii and ultimately stumbled on what we call naturopathic medicine in the U.S., which is a, a small medical profession in the, the bigger picture 
but it's one that focuses largely on those modalities. Right. And so, you know, I went to school, became a naturopathic doctor. During that time period, one of the big U.S. supplement companies that sells, um, or at that point sold only into the health professional market, is called Thorne. Thorne Research was their name back then. Okay. And they wanted to hire student reps, and it just so turned out they I was the one they picked. So right. as a naturopathic student, I was actually going to trade shows, representing them, talking to health professionals about supplements, and then worked full-time for them when I graduated. And a, about a year into that, I wanted to start seeing patients. And at that point in time, it was the um, 96, 97 time period, the person that wrote Eat Right for Your Type, the blood type diet, was yeah. also a naturopath. And his, he had a year and a half waiting list. Uh, because of the popularity of his book. And I encountered him a few times um, at different conventions. And the gist of it is he said something like, you know, I don't like many people, but I seem to like you. What do you think about moving to Greenwich, Connecticut? So I, you know, did. So I I practiced with him for a handful of years. And then um, after that, taught at a naturopathic university for a while you know, saw patients on my own, have stayed in the nutritional supplement world. And a few years back, I really liked what Neurohacker was doing. And so um, it seemed like a great fit. So I've, um, you know, had lots of different, like, I guess, weaves in and out of things. But, you yeah. know, big picture background is that, you know, my, I have a really strong anchoring in, you know, dietary supplementation and almost anything that would be in the you know, alternative medic- medicine space with, you know, at this point, 25 plus years in that space yeah i mean it's interesting i mean i've only the alternative medicine space is something that i've only really been aware of for about 18 months two years but it does to me really feel like that it's it's really starting to gain some more momentum and a a lot of a more wider exposure why why do you think that is greg what do you think is has led to the kind of the for me at least anyway I might I might not be correct but it the, you know the rise of nootropics and 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 alternative medicines now I think there's lots of things going on but I think one is in a lot of areas and I think the internet and everything that evolved out of that has made it so that people are less reliant on so-called experts and more reliant on you know what happens you know, if I self-experiment. So, you know, the whole biohacker movement, you could say evolved out of the quantified self and the self-experimentation movement of 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And so now it's just so easy to access communities of people that, you know, unlike maybe my mom's generation that would look, you know, to a so-called expert to what to do people now, you don't need the credentials to get it. And so, you know, I think the barriers more than anything have been disintegrated and there's a lot more, I think, curiosity in all areas. So, you know, like, yeah. you know, um, my background would be Irish Catholic. So all my ancestors came from different counties in Ireland, but, okay. you know, there's been a resurgence in speaking Gaelic there in, you know, I'm a big Barcelona yeah. soccer fan. So in that part of Spain, there's been a you know resurgence of their language. So what, um, and I, I mentioned early on my um, pre-going to naturopathic school, it was University of Hawaii that I was studying at, which also you know, had re-embraced the Hawaiian language. So I think what we're seeing is re-embracing a lot of things that would have been historic, but that marginalized. 
Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that that all kind of makes sense. I think, particularly from my perspective, I would say that you know, social media and the internet and YouTube and all the rest of it, we have way more access to information now than we perhaps have over the last kind of ten years, and therefore it's much much easier for us to research these things isn't it now and and and, and there's some amazing content out there online um that you can find out you know if you are so desired if you're that way inclined to to research and find out a little bit more about alternative types of medicine so with regards to nootropics though greg for for people that are listening to this how would you describe nootropics? What are they and, and how can they really benefit us? Sure. So nootropics, I mean, really often you'll hear them, you know, words like either smart drugs or, you know, brain boosters, cognitive enhancers. They're really the category of anything that can make our brain perform better. And here in the States, I think they caught on, you know, before becoming more mainstream and, and in the biohacker world, even in Silicon Valley and high performance people, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you know, I think Reddit and university students started to embrace some of them. But really what's happened over, you know, even the last couple of years is nootropics are definitely going much more mainstream. And yeah. so nootropic can be something as simple as a cup of coffee. It, you know, I would right. think of coffee as literally the most used and studied nootropic, you know, and sports performance um, enhancing product with the caffeine that exists. And then um, Michael Pollan, he's an author in Northern California. He wrote, um, you know, lots of excellent books, but he just did on Audible a, um, a, you know, essentially a mini book on caffeine, which was super interesting. Right. So anyway, uh, well, just to, to wrap it up, um, there's a, a huge range of things that fit in the nootropic space. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that I've seen that I find really interesting is a lot of things that have classically been thought of as ergogenics. So ergogenics would be the category of things like your creatines, HMBs, yeah. et cetera, that improve um, you know, essentially sports performance or muscle performance. Um, what, what they've been finding over the last few years is a lot of the ergogenics actually are nootropics and some of the right. things that previously were thought of as nootropics like um, some cholines and some of the adaptogens are actually ergogenic so there's a real blurring of those two categories and i think in part it's because our brain is our most active muscle yeah 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 that that kind of yeah that kind of makes sense and i think um the other side to it you know with the biohacking community that again has obviously highlighted the fact of of nootropics um and i think you know the high performance as well i think around athletes looking to get um improvements in whether it be performance whether it be mental ability um i think that's how i've come to start learning about nootropics is through is through sport um and i think for me that the the attraction to nootropics are the fact that really and you can correct me if i'm wrong it's it's the ability to ha- enhance in a in a in a, a healthy way if you like the body's natural resources that it has and it's just i see it as a as an option to to switch on or enhance various different um functions to to make me perform better absolutely I, there was actually a, 
a study I wanted to just mention. So I get um, a daily digest from Science Daily, but one of the, um, it's essentially like a listing of, um, a curated listing of new research in life sciences. But one of the articles on March 24th was titled Brain or Muscles. Um, right. What do we lose first? So the idea is, you know, we know that, you know, by the time we hit 50, both brain and muscle performance tends to just gradually decline. And we also know that there's a strong relationship between doing physical activity and keeping a healthier brain longer. So it's always been generally or it's been generally thought that the relationship was that the physical activity keeps the brain healthy, right? Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so what this um, new research showed, and I'll just quote from it, um, contrary to what was previously thought, cognitive, cognitive abilities ward off inactivity much more than physical activity prevents the decline in cognitive abilities. Yeah. Which is like a super cool finding, but very consistent with a lot of other things that I, in terms of like my framework for how I think about things. So, you know, when I think of, um, you know, say like high level physical activity performance, at one point it was thought that the limiting factor was running out of physical energy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What, science is really clear on is it's actually mental energy that gets depleted that then prevents us from doing more so if we go into an exercise session with more mental energy we'll both perform better and be able to instead of essentially zoning out towards the end stay tuned in and be able to perform at our best through the entire session so like in a real world how that can manifest is that you know you go to the your workout at the end of the day and find yourself just kind of going through the paces or, mm-hmm. um, you know, less mentally focused through it and maybe even disengaged towards the end, which can mean like, oh, geez, I planned on doing 10 exercises, three sets each, you know, I'm, I'm two thirds of the way through. I think I'm just going to call it a day. That's a yeah. mental energy thing. And if yeah. we have more mental energy, we're much more likely to be able to meet or turn those good intentions into reality. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I, I was talking to somebody else today, funnily enough, um, and because, you know, the sport of Ironman that I do, um, and I was saying that it gets to a point where you realise that physically your body's pretty much capable of anything, you know, if you reach a certain level of fitness. Where you where you start to fall down it is the mind, is the the decline in your mental capacity to be able to tell your body to keep going. And so, yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that, and that that's super interesting. I'll I'll have to have a look at that article because, um, yeah, I think that's um, yeah, definitely valid. I, yeah, I know what I definitely felt. I'll um, send you a, a a link to it, then okay. you can maybe put it in the show notes. Yeah, and um, yeah, another thing like I've this was probably like six months ago. I was um, you know, someone writing an article for a, a um a blog post, or I I think it was a blog post, but it could have been a, a newspaper here. You essentially called me and the premise of her article was that there would be some types of exercise that would benefit from being tuned in and others that would benefit from being on autopilot. And she'd already interviewed a few different people and they'd essentially, you know, agreed with her. And yeah. so when she called me, I was like, you know, I couldn't disagree more strongly. There's literally no form of exercise I know that benefits from being on autopilot. And she goes, yeah. well, what about running? And I go, well, the difference between excellent runners 
and mediocre runners is that towards the end of the race, the excellent runners get even more focused and the mediocre ones are more zoned out. It's Mm -hmm. like there's, you know, even if we take something like meditation, good meditators aren't on like zoned out. They're actually really in the zone. Their their brain is working really hard. We were to look at their brain waves, we'll see really high amplitude waves. So, um, Sports, I think, is the classic example that we really need our brain if we were going to perform at our best. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. I think um, the the more you're able to um, have that mental capacity at certain elements, whether that's when you're training or in the race, you can make way more informed decisions. And I know this. uh, I experimented with something – a few years ago and this was taking mct uh gels during mm-hmm. the race and you know mct is just fats really at the end of the day but i found that because my uh, the, taking the mct oil really kind of switched on my cognitive ability i was able to control my race in a much more uh intelligent way in, in a sense that i knew my performance was dropping off and so I was able to consciously make that decision to pick it back up instead of like you're the, 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 I can't remember if it was a lady or man said to you, you know, you can just be unconscious. If you're just unconscious, you will just let happen what's happening. You won't make the, the important decisions you need to make in order to pick the race back up or change your pace or, or whatever it is. So yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, very, very important. So Greg, with regards to the science behind, uh, the supplements and how they work then. Can you just explain kind of briefly how how they work, how nootropics work, exactly what are they doing when, when we're taking them and um, for what functions are they? Okay, well, within the category of nootropics, there's a huge range of things. So yeah. the original nootropics were what are called racetems that, that, that are in the U.S. would be more in the um, the medicine world as opposed to dietary supplements. But right. in the dietary supplement world, you know, what you have are, you know, amino acids, herbs, nutrients, plant compounds like polyphenols. And depending on the individual ingredient, their mm-hmm. mechanism can be vastly different. But let's just take like, you know, essentially amino acids as our um, like a yeah. good place to begin. So um, our brain... Um, really one of the main things that uses energy in our brain is signaling and right. signaling are, you know, starts with um, building a neurotransmitter. So key ones end up being acetylcholine, which is made from cholines, um, dopamine, which is made from tyrosine or phenylalanine, serotonin and melatonin, which both start with tryptophan, um, right. the GABA glutamate pathway, which starts with glutamine. So in, in a sense, those building blocks are needed to be able just at a most fundamental level to make these molecules that then are used to signal. And in certain, at least in the U.S., choline ends up being something that most adults have a relative deficiency in. So essentially are not needing the dietary intake needed to optimize choline levels. And what I've seen, our Institute of Medicine suggests at least four out of five adults don't get enough choline. So okay. we don't want 
like huge excesses of choline, but we definitely need enough to be able to make the acetylcholine molecule. And acetylcholine also is super important for muscle contraction. And so it's why things like alpha GPC, which is a really bioavailable form of choline that can get into the brain, acts as both a nootropic and an ergogenic. So, you know, for that one, the mechanism is, is that. For something like caffeine, the mechanism would be completely different and would have to do with um, really overcoming the sleep homeostatic system. So in essence, um, enhancing alertness. And right. so th- there's science behind all kinds of different nootropic compounds. And some have more, especially when you get into herbs, you know, the same herb might work on the acetylcholine system and the dopamine system. Um, you know, some things will work more for long term. Some things will be like caffeine, much more of something you would notice in the moment. Yeah. Um, but what's come out of the interest in you know both alternative medicine and nootropics is that some of these compounds just have a lot of scientific study behind them now. Right. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. So essentially, what we're saying is that these the the various different elements or the that's commonly known as the stacks that we can use are really just to um or can be used to make up deficiencies that we have generally but also um can be used to enhance various different functions uh of the brain that that we maybe want to you know increase or upregulate is that is that fair to say I think absolutely. And that idea of stacks, I think, is super important. So, right. you know, getting back to caffeine, which is, you know, whether it's in coffee, teas, you know, or, you know, it's super common in pre-workout um, energy drinks or pre-workout powders. Caffeine is really good. So I, I tend to think of a pyramid and this is how I would explain it. So let me know if it's not like super relevant, but like the baseline of cognitive performance, we need to be awake. So more than any other, like, you know, over-the-counter thing, caffeine promotes that that vigilance, that wakefulness. And um, because of that, it helps with reaction times, processing speeds, but mostly is because it, it helps us amplify that. But most compounds follow a Goldilocks rule where, you know, there's one amount that's just right and then too little or too much, not so good. So caffeine's one of those. Too little, you know, we won't have the wakefulness potentially, especially if we're sleep deprived, but too much. And performance actually suffers because we get, you know, symptoms of being caffeinated or over caffeinated. So there's a fairly, um, I would say the nootropic zone for caffeine is usually thought of as anywhere from 50 to about 200 milligrams. And for a pre like, you know, a, a sports performance, you can go higher. But if right. you wanted to get more cognitive benefits, than just that, doing more caffeine won't. It will probably start to take away. So right. to continue the boost is when you start stacking things. So L-theanine or theanine, it's pronounced by different people differently, is a, an amino acid-like compound found in green tea. That stacks super well with caffeine. And the combination gives much more what would be thought of as calm energy. Because what okay. theanine does is it, it really dampens down stress but um, helps with some of the, the things higher up the pyramid than caffeine alone would do. And then, yeah, one, oh, oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, That's right. And just to finish like this stacking analogy off, when I was um, 
like middle school, high school, I was one of those kids that was super thin and did everything really fast. But I also made lots of mistakes. So I was, you know, would have been classically thought as clumsy. So being fast is important, but being fast and accurate is obviously more important, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to sports. So stacking choline with caffeine adds that accuracy piece. And so you start to see those relationships as you stack different building blocks of, you know, individual nootropics together, you can get um, brain benefits that you wouldn't get from any on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I think, you know, the, the, to, to, to kind of really distill it down even further to keep it simple for me, what I like about these nootropics is it's all from naturally occurring functions and chemicals that are in the body anyway. And we're just, picking the ones out where we want to get the most benefit from for a certain type of you know function or 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 task that we're doing um and 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 for me that i think from a health perspective longer term health perspective that's what attracts me to to nootropics um so in terms of the the different types i know that you know the, the the kind of when you talk about supplements it can be uh, the, the supplement industry so is more what I mean is is or, or can be seen as kind of a bit dark artish in terms of you know how they're produced, where they come from, and so obviously you've got man-made and then you've got naturally derived nootropics. From a neurohacker perspective, where do you guys sit with that? Is it is it all naturally derived nootropics that you you're producing? So since we're a dietary supplement in the U.S., we you know have to follow all the dietary supplement industry laws. So yeah, I yeah. mean our products are made from amino acids, vitamins, minerals, herbs, and yeah, food extracts, and sometimes um, specific polyphenols extracted from a plant like a resveratrol or a quercetin. And right. you know, like we're not you know most biohackers aren't opposed to some of the man-made nootropic compounds but um it's not something that we as a company can make or sell right yeah so like my my one of the founders you know um daniel smockenberger i i think it was if it was up to him if we could get away with putting racetams in our product we probably would but when you do more powerful compounds so I guess mm-hmm. the way I, like my my analogy is exactly in the the exercise metaphor. And I think um, how we think about things, our mental models is super important. So when I think of exercise, I think of adaptation. You know, if we don't take the time to recover, to alter our routines, to do the common sense things good athletes know that have to be done in order to continue to improve our performance, we'll just plateau. And yeah. That same analogy of adaptation, I think, happens with like anything to caffeine for sure, right? If mm. if we um, keep drinking coffee, what typically happens is over time people need more and more to get the same benefit. Yeah. But if we take short breaks from caffeine, then the system essentially recovers, and the same low dose of caffeine can keep like providing us the boost we need. So one mm. of the things with nootropics, and, I, and we were one of the first companies, if not the first, that focused on this, is that it's really important to take periodic breaks. So our baseline recommendation is do our nootropic stack Monday through Friday or five days a week, whatever those yeah. you know work for you, 
take two days off to recover, just like you wouldn't want to do the same exercise routine day in, day out. Recovery is an important part of continuing to improve. And then periodically maybe take a longer break, just like you would have a deloading week built into your long-term exercise routine. So that mental model, that idea of adaptation to me is super important. And the way I think of it, like adaptation with exercise is if I said, you know, all right, I want you to go out and do yoga for the rest of your life. You're probably, you know, with very little days off, it's not going to harm you. You you might even continue to benefit. Um, But if I said go out and run a marathon every weekend, we'd probably cook you pretty quickly. So that idea of intensity and time is super important when you think of adaptation. The more intense something is, the time horizon where you're going to overtrain to it is going to crunch down. And in a, like whether it's a drug or supplement world, the equivalent of intensity is dose. So the higher the dose you do on something or the more drug-like you do, the more likely that over a short period of time, you're essentially going to plateau and overtrain from it. So you know one of the advantages to doing more of the natural things especially if the doses aren't crazy high, is you're going to spread out that benefit over a long period of time. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So I think the analogy of, of you know, the caffeine, that makes perfect sense. And if, if people can listen and understand that, because, yeah, you, whilst you might like coffee, you know, it's the same with everything. If you give something in your body uh, – give it consistently enough, your body adapts, right? And then it becomes the new normal, if that makes sense. Correct. And yep. to give your give your body a rest or relax from, from that, whatever it is you're giving it, it's the same with food. You know, it gives the body time to change and adapt again. So, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So if we, obviously, you know, in the time when we're recording this, we've got COVID-19 and all the rest of it. Is there anything around that virus that where nootropics could help could you know upregulate our immune systems or anything like that or is 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 that completely you know off on a on a tangent you know i think we just don't know enough about that specific virus to have right. great answers but in a general sense if you think about immunity we have you know like our our we have the immune system but um, usually yeah. the immune system is broken into two different parts, innate and adaptive. And innate essentially is all the things that would be nonspecific. So there are, you know, our skin, our mucosal barriers, the gut microbiome, um, right. parts of the immune system like NK cells or dendritic cells that don't have to have been exposed to something in the past to mount an, a, some kind of a, a defense against it. And then the adaptive would be more the learned immune system. And then, you know, so that I think of as our global immune system. But then each cell has its own way that it defends itself against, you know, whether it's viruses, cancer, or being senescent. And the mitochondria actually play a huge role in that. A process called um, autophagy. I don't know if that's something that your audience would know about. That's something like another internal process that cells use. Um, when a cell is invaded by a virus, one of the things it does is it releases a lot of ATP, which is our energy currency of cells, into the space outside it. And that acts as almost a warning system to other cells that, hey, you better ramp up your defenses. So in a general sense, things that improve how our cells can function 
improve how they can make energy would allow them to defend themselves better against all challenges. Okay. So that's really, you know, non-specific general advice. In terms of this specific virus, it's, you know, impossible to know, you know, which mechanisms are more or less important, you know, if there's any, you know, compounds that's more or less detrimental. Um, but my intuition is what we would see is similar to something like the influenza, which also is, you know, strongly affects the um, oldest and weakest in the population, which is what this virus is doing. It's no surprise that it's, you know, essentially having the worst impact on the people whose you know, cells would be the less able to make energy, to have yeah. a healthy mitochondrial network, to have these like internal defenses. Yeah, that that yeah that that does make sense, and I think um, yeah that whole autophagy thing and and um, the, our mitochondria, you know, just in general outside of the virus, um, is so so important to make sure that we you know pay attention to that and our cellular health. And I think there's more and more stuff coming out about uh, mitochondria now, and it's becoming. It, again, it seems to me it's becoming more of a mainstream topic of conversation. I know a lot of people are talking about the gut microbiome, but the mitochondria, which is the, the energy in our cells, is 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 super important. So I think just from a general health perspective, you know, exercise and all the rest of it helps with creating or recreating that. And then around autophagy, you know, I've, I've been doing intermittent fasting and, and longer fasts um probably for the last six months to to um use that process in order to regenerate you know energy and and regenerate kind of or, or remove old cells that's what i understand autophagy to be to be doing yeah so what I, well what autophagy would be there's autophagy is essentially like a recycling process that happens in cells if it happens yeah. in mitochondria it would be called my, mitophagy the mitochondrial right. equivalent and so what happens is a lot of the proteins in our cells and inside mitochondria have to get folded, unfolded, moved in and out of compartments. And over time, they just kind of get gunked up, right? That's the whole idea of um, yeah. you know, the plaques that you'd hear about with dementia. And so autophagy would be a way to essentially target those and recycle them and turn those individual components, like the amino acids in those proteins, into new, better working versions of whatever that protein was. And so as you mentioned, fasting-related behaviors tend, because we're not bringing protein in, the wisdom of our body seems to um, disproportionately potentially target damaged proteins and recycle those when we're not bringing yeah. protein in. And you don't have to have a long fast to boost autophagy. So the um, Walter Longo, who wrote, I think it's Longevity Diet is the name of his book, but he's he's been the, a big researcher here in the U.S. on autophagy for, uh, well, fast, fasting mimicking diet is his particular right. um, lingo for immunity, for different diseases, and just a short um, period of low protein. Um, it doesn't have to be a water fast will boost some degree of autophagy. And one of the first things that are essentially uh, recycled are defective immune cells. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of um, the, the, the nootropics and neurohacker producers, you've got various different 
um, products which you know provide various different functions. Can you go over those in a little bit more detail as to what they are and why you've created these certain categories? Sure, I'd love to. So we, um, I think, like in a the unifying principle behind all of them is the idea of energy, right. and um, you know, as we mentioned, the um, nootropics. So our original product is um, Qualia Mind is the name of it. Yeah. Was a nootropic stack for the brain, but as it turns out, estimates are that the brain uses about twenty percent of all the energy our body produces in a day. So you know, as we've talked about the importance of energy for yeah. you know, everything from you know cognitive function to sports function. Um, our next product is called Eternus, and my understanding is we're going to be renaming these in the not too distant future. But okay. Eternus was all about the mitochondrial network and cellular energy. So it was a more global product. But one of the interesting things we've seen is that most people that have been on Eternus comment about a range of things from better sleep to exercise performance, but productivity tends to be a really common piece of feedback. People will tell me that, geez, you know, you know, I was taking this for my cell, you know, cell energy, but it feels like over time it's having a nootropic effect. And fairly recently I've been doing um, cognitive testing on a group of about 14 people taking a turnus over three months. And, um, very routinely, those have been improving the the tests we've been okay. doing. So, um, which makes sense because if you're improving global cell energy, the brain ends up using it. So there's some nootropic benefit there. So, what I would say is um, the big differentiator is the Qualia product. You'll feel in a day, and yeah. the Eternus we design so it would be for most people something that would be more subtle and that they would notice over a month. Um, and they're completely right. different in terms of what they go after. Um, like I said, Qualia is mostly a nootropic stack, and cell energy is really geared towards supporting all the things that help our mitochondria perform at their best. And then our most yeah. recently launched product is a, a liquid. It's a, a two-ounce shot that we call a nootropic energy, but it would be more in the qualia line than like, I think of it to me as the perfect thing to take before a workout because it has quicker onset than the right. qualia capsules. And I designed it. So when I, I always have a working name for things when I'm developing them and testing them out individually, you know, personally and with our team. And mine was um, personal best for that. Cause it seemed like, Every time I took it, I would go to the gym for my weight workout and set a new personal best that day. And that's wow. that idea that you talked about with mental energy and you know how important that is, especially towards the end when we're um, you know it's easier to disengage or zone out. So those are our, our three main products, and we'll be launching a product that's in the um, the evening sleep category. Um, right now, we're looking towards June for that launch. Okay. Okay, that'd be interesting. Yeah, and that, I mean, I the the nootropic, uh, the energy drink. I I've been experimenting with that, and um, I've been taking it before doing long runs. And what I what I will say is that I don't necessarily feel any performance, but again, I just feel 
a lot less mentally fatigued at the towards the end of a long run. And a long run, I'm talking about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, you know, I, it's not like I'm, you know, really struggling to finish the last part of the run. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I can still feel it from a physical perspective, but from a, a mental perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm way more um, alert. So, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely helping me. Yeah. Well, and one of the things too, it does have um, some creatine, not a lot. Like we didn't go anywhere near the dose that bodybuilders or people that are focusing on building muscle mass would use for creatine. But creatine yeah. is one of the um, compounds our body makes that buffers ATP. So right. you know, especially more for like high intensity things, the nootropic energy shot, I would notice personally more for like the long endurance things creatine tends to bring moisture into into cells so it's just important to you know stay really hydrated if you are doing creatine before a long workout right okay um we've we've talked about the the fact that the way that your products have been designed is that you do them on a, a cyclical basis so you might do it for five days and then you have two days off and we've talked around the benefits about that but are there any other um kind of side effects that that people that haven't taken the tropics before need to be aware of or and and is it a case of if you are on medication for example for a long term you know illness or whatever that you shouldn't do nootropics so with um with certain medications we just wouldn't like for any of the what i think of as the mood category of medications so antidepressants right. anti-anxiety we just wouldn't have enough data on the individual ingredients to be able to make good recommendations. So we would typically, um, you know, default to saying these are largely for healthy people. So um, that said, you know, I do have doctor friends that use our products with their patients. So um, in the biohacking community, there's this acronym you'll sometimes see, um, and it stands, it, you know, it's abbreviation for your mileage may vary. So YMMV. And the right. idea is, and I think this goes back to the exercise community, they, they would definitely understand this, is um, when I was in the Navy, I, I went out on deployment for six months. So, you know, left Hawaii, went to the Indian Ocean. And one of the um, people on my ship had been a weightlifter before. He was, you know, at the time, roughly my height and build. But it, um, and so I weighed about 150 at that point. I'm a, I'm a five seven guy, so not a huge guy. And right. he um, said he'd been up close to 180. And at the time when we started our deployment, he was probably 140 ish, right? A little smaller than me. And we lifted together yeah. pretty much at six months. And by the end, he looked like Superman, and I gained a, maybe a pound of muscle, right? So he was a super responder, and part of that was muscle memory. And you know, I was right. a responder. Um, but what you'll see in exercise is there's very relatively few super responders. There's always okay. a big group of good responders, right? Like exercise benefits them. There'll be, you know, often a small subset that for a particular type of exercise, it's just not going to work for them. And then a subset that's going to get hurt, right? The negative responders. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, my um, mental model anyways, is, is that, that those groups tend to occur in everything, whether it was a, a medication a nootropic stack, you know, a pre-workout um, product. 
that you're going to have always a subset of super responders, some good responders, some people that don't notice anything, and some people that it doesn't, like it's not good for. And they're not good, often the same things you would see with placebos. You know, there are um, headaches, GI disturbances. They're they're called nocebo responses in medicine. They're the, the classic grouping of things that just happen when you introduce anything new. And one of the things we do at Neurohacker, and it is honestly one of the main reasons that I came to work for Neurohacker, is instead of just putting together um, good ideas, putting in a capsule and start selling it, we test all our products out um, with biohackers first. If yeah. it's successful in that small population, then we'll do a much bigger, um, essentially citizen science approach and give it to a lot of people in our community and get their feedback. So by yeah. the time we launch a product, we have a good sense of, you know, like what are the proportion of super responders and good responders and, you know, maybe non or negative responders going to be. And so in a big picture sense, what I would say is our products don't work for everyone, but I've never seen any products that do. But our products yeah. work really well for in excess of four out of five people. And yeah. we have almost, um, we've never been able to get rid of all of the um, people that would, you know, essentially not experience something. And so our kind of baseline or my baseline is that no matter what product you take, especially if it's a nootropic stack, you should feel something, um, you know, very quickly if it's going to work for you. And then don't assume just because it worked for you for a couple of days that it's going to keep working for you um, over weeks or months because of what you mentioned earlier, that idea of adaptation. And with our products, you know, we now have people that have been on our nootropic stack for years, taking it with that cycling protocol I've talked about. And so we know for those people, it's continued to work well when dosed in that smart way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I mean, that just makes completely logical sense to me. Um, So, so there are obviously, you know, quite a lot of companies out there on the market now that are offering various different types of nootropics. So what should really us as consumers, as customers look out for when we're looking at a product? Because I'm assuming that not all products are produced how Neurohacking produces their products. And obviously, you know, the, the, for you guys, you'd like everybody to buy your product, but the reality is people are going to go out there and look at other things in the market. So from your obviously knowledge and experience, what would you say the things that you put, that people should look out for when we're, they're looking at a nootropic product? So I would say the first one would be the amount of caffeine. Um, Most nootropic stacks are going to, you know, at least dietary supplement ones will have caffeine, which is fine. But you want to make sure it's in that that nootropic zone, somewhere between 50 to maybe definitely no more than 200. If it's more than 200, it's pushing one pathway way too hard for most people. And, you know, somewhere closer to like, 50 to 100 is probably going to be a good sweet spot, especially if someone's also doing caffeine somewhere else, whether coffee, tea. So that's a good, you know, quick look. Um, I would say anytime there's caffeine, there should be um, that compound I mentioned earlier, L-theanine, because they play really well together. So when you see that stack, you know, at a bare minimum, someone's thinking of trying to um, get like a better response for the caffeine in the product. 
Um, the next would be choline's. Yeah. Choline ended up being super important, as I mentioned, as both nootropic and ergogenics, but they're again not a more is better. So the the two yeah. um, um, most brain available choline's are alpha GPC and um, citicoline, which is often goes under a brand name. Cognizant is um, you know one of the more studied, but there's some other studied um, citicoline. So Either of those or both would be really important because the less expensive cholines just don't really get to the brain. Um, right. The brain's pretty picky eater in terms of what it lets in. And then, yeah. um, again, choline has to do like it's not more is better. So, you know, if um, like our, I would tend to think somewhere in the range of 100 to 400 or so milligrams of th- these uh, more like um, nootropic forms of choline is going to be in the the sweet spot to make up the gap between what people get in their diet and what they need. Yeah. So those are like three simple things. Then there's a range of herbs, but in general, I always like to see that there's at least one herb that's put in there that would be classically thought of as an adaptogen. You know, okay. like the rhodiolas, you know, you know, some form of ginseng. Um, yeah. are often like the most well-known because um, higher cognition does not work or get sacrificed when we're stressed out. Uh-huh. It's something to help with that stress component, I think really adds nicely into any of these nootropic stacks. So yeah. those would be a, a couple of the core things I would always look for. Awesome. Okay. I think that's really sound advice. So before we, we wrap up then, uh, Greg, what uh, didn't I ask you that I feel that I should have asked you, which would benefit the listeners? Well, you know, we did talk a bit about exercise and mental energy and focus. And so there was one study, and let me see, I think I can pull it up here really quickly okay. to share. So the um, this was one I shared um, with when I was interviewed for that, like that article about, you know, this, is it, um, are some exercises that benefit from uh, essentially yeah. being zoned out? So the, the title of the study was the level of effort rather than muscle exercise intensity determines strength gains following a six week training. So the gist of this study was, it was a small study, just 18 volunteers, you know, all fairly young and it was yeah. over six weeks. And what they had them do was essentially a curling motion, like a biceps exercise at very uh-huh. low weight, so about 30% of max, so super low intensity. Right. And what um, they did is they had three groups. One was a control group that didn't do any exercise. Mm-hmm. One, they said, you know, do the muscle movement, but when they were doing it, they didn't give them any extra, you know, uh, guidance. And they had, you know, a TV on in the background. So they were kind of the, the definition of less focused on the actual yeah. movement. And then the third group, they said, okay, while you're doing this, focus as much as you can on the actual movement that your arm's making. And so, again, this was super lightweight. At the end of the six weeks, no surprise, the people that did nothing, strength was a little bit worse. Yeah. The group that did the movement but didn't focus had essentially no improvements in strength. And the group that did this really lightweight and actually mentally focused on it improved strength by 20%. So literally almost all of the improvements occurred through our ability to mentally focus. Now Mm -hmm. with heavier weight, it's going to, you know, obviously would be a little different, 
But yeah. it's why I can't really emphasize strongly enough how important important it is to invest in our mental energy capacities when we're doing exercise if we want to get the most out of that time spent in the yeah. gym or on the track. Yeah, I think I think that's super fascinating because that just goes to show that, you know, it is a lot about focus um, and being present when you're doing whatever activity it is you're doing. Um, you get the results. It's not necessarily about the brute force of effort, is it? Um, no. To come back to the the person that you mentioned earlier on in in uh, in the podcast was around you know you you just need to essentially do the do the activity and that's all you need you can do it unconsciously well that just goes to show that that's not the case doesn't it absolutely and then the last thing and you know this is like um, you know your audience is about getting dads to commit to being healthier and one of the so I guess you know I did a um, a lot of research into weight and wrote a book um, about 10 years on weight. And a lot of our, um, the way we think about weight is just wrongheaded. But in a general yeah. sense, um, you know, the idea of willpower, the analogy I like is thinking of willpower as a reservoir. And so we only yeah. have a finite amount and any new behavior is going to deplete that reservoir. And the more we ask someone to do, the more it's going to get depleted. And mental yeah. energy fits in very much with that. So when we're asking someone to change their habits or to do new things, we actually need more mental energy than we even normally would because um, there's a cognitive domain called executive function. But it's essentially the part of thinking that allows us to do more of what's good for us and less of what's bad for us. And that's a really energy-intensive system. So on that pyramid I talked about earlier, with caffeine yeah. being the base and above that is your attentional level. So your cholines and thanines. Well, above that is executive function. And if we don't have those base levels of the pyramid taken care of, we're just not going to get to the, the higher order executive functions that we need more of when we're trying to become healthier. So, you know, yeah. I think nootropics really help with that. And then I tend to think of the top layer personally as social cognition. So your empathy, your getting along with others, your emotional resilience, all of those things. And yeah. you know what I've routinely seen in my life with friends, family, is often we'll leave the best social part of us at the office because we, by the time yeah. we've got home, we've essentially exhausted our mental energy. And the people that are more important to us get kind of the worst social version of us. And so part of you know, what I noticed most strongly for me with um, nootropics, um, and this wasn't the immediate, the immediate effect were the things like focus, alertness, um, memory. But over weeks to months, it's I started noticing that driving home at the end of the day in traffic, I was more or more unflappable. The, yeah. you know, I wasn't as, you know, irritated with traffic. And the same when I would get home at night, that I was just a better social version of myself. And I think that all yeah. has to do with this idea of mental energy. When, when we have more of it, we're less likely to drain the tank. And especially if we're yeah. planning on doing our workout at the end of the day. I mean, I can remember times in my earlier life having good intentions about working out and then driving right past the gym on my way home. And, and yeah. all of those things to me are signs that we didn't have enough mental energy to invest in all the things that were important to us that day. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, mental energy is one which something is overlooked. Um, and sometimes we beat ourselves up about the fact that we don't necessarily recognize that we don't have enough mental energy. We'll put it down to, to motivation and things like that, which I guess is part of mental energy. But being able to have more of that as a function, more of that in the tank, so to speak, um, enables us to be, like you say, better versions of ourselves when we when we need to be in, in, in all the right areas. So, yeah, no, it's uh, super, super interesting, Greg. I'm uh, trying out the um, quality of mind at the moment, and I can say that it's um, it's having a very good um, impact on, on my mental energy uh, and my focus. So, yeah um it's uh yeah a, a great product so thanks very much for your time today greg um how can people connect with neurohacker how they how can they connect with you what's the the best pro- profiles uh, and platforms sure so our website is neurohacker.com um from there there's links to us on facebook instagram other social media and um, we try awesome. to maintain a big presence especially on on those platforms and have you know way more of a community than we actually have in terms of customers. And then I fairly frequently write blog posts on the NeuroHacker website. I've actually done a series on um, like more self-help things that would be general strategies for this COVID virus. So, you know, why it's, you know, like the science behind washing hands as an example, Um, the Japanese habit of Ugai, which we would translate as gargling and the, you know, the science behind that as something to, reduce maybe cold um, flu type virus symptoms. Um, so anyways, the, the best ways to really is to follow us, I would say on Facebook and Instagram, because we you know often will um, give out lots of what I would think of as content to our audience. Um, and yeah. like I said, whether you want to you know, buy a product from us or not, there's a lot of great people that, um, because of the, the collective component of NeuroHacker Collective, share their expertise. So um, uh, one area we also do that is on our own Collective Insights podcast. Awesome. Yeah. So check it out, guys. Check out the Collective Insight podcast. Head over to NeuroHacker.com. Check out the, the blog post. Check out the products. Uh, I highly recommend it. We're going to be doing a series with NeuroHacker. Obviously, this podcast uh, is one of them, uh, and we're going to be putting some videos out on our YouTube channel around um, the NeuroHacker products as well. So, Greg, thanks very much for your time today, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe, and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.